Well, here we are almost the end of January, the longest month of the baseball off season, my birthday month unrelated. I hate that it's tainted by this, but we soldier on the Phillies are nearing the end of January. They finally made a couple of transactions for those of you who are just desperate and hunting for them to do something, show some signs of life between the last time Matt and I have recorded. They've done a couple of things. We'll talk about all this stuff. Welcome back to Phillies therapy. Ladies, gentlemen, fanatics of all ages, it's good to be with you again. We miss you. Wish there was a little bit more to talk about this offseason, but thankfully, in between the time we decided to do this earlier this week and our actual recording right now in the morning, things have happened and we have things to talk about. Yay! Here on this Thursday morning. So let me once again welcome in my co host from The Athletic, Mr. Matt Geld. Matt, hi, how are you? It's good to hear your voice. Oh, yours uh, too. <laughs> it's uh yeah, it's been it's been a weird off season, I think, for a lot of reasons, but uh, you know, relatively boring, but I uh personally, selfishly, not going to complain about boring. Sorry, yeah, not sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's been slow. It's been slow. I don't remember the exact date we were last with you. I know it was before the holidays and before the new year. Uh, we had a couple of arbitration agreements, pre-arbitration agreements. Uh, Alec Bohm is the only one left outstanding among that group. We expect him to maybe get a one or two, maybe a two-year agreement. We'll talk about that in a second. The most recent moves of note to Phillies fans would be the signing of Colby Allard, former Braves great, who got a split contract to come into the the Caleb Cotham lab and see what they could resuscitate out of his career. He's a lefty. He has an option. He's only 26. Yeah, 26. Maybe there's something there. We'll see. And Reese Hoskins has finally found a new home. He signed a one-year deal with an option, opt out really, to go to Milwaukee and sit in the middle of their lineup and eat some bratwurst. Good for Reese. I'll miss you. I'll miss you terribly. But really, that's been it, right? Like the bullpen got a little more firmed up with actual money value for guys like Jeff Hoffman and Greg Soto, you know, Ranger Suarez got a one-year deal, which is nice. I kind of thought he was, he was maybe in line for a multi-year thing, which could always still happen, but he's only just got the one-year deal right now. Matt, I, I think we're in a position where a lot of the things that we've talked about really from the outset of the off season are still in place, right? We have, an outfield that is still feeling a little bit unsettled, even though there are major league caliber guys at every position. And there's probably still a spot in the bullpen for, you know, a guy on a major league deal to come in. There's thoughts around guys like Phil Maton and Ryan Stanek. There's a little bit of thought around, uh, you know, maybe they'll be in on Robert Stevenson. Maybe they'll be in on Jordan Hicks, both of whom signed very different deals for different reasons. We can talk about those too. Um, but Matt, really, I think on the whole, little has changed since, you know, we last recorded five, six weeks ago, however long it is. It's really just the names, I think, uh, uh, for these different spots that, that that have moved. But it's not as if anything is imminent, right? You probably haven't heard of anything coming up. Maybe they were interested in Stevenson. Maybe they were interested in Hicks, not as a starting pitcher, 
what what in the wake of the the seismic Colby Allard signing has come up? Does it feel like anything is closer? Does it feel like they have any better idea who their top guy left might be? No, I think they were definitely interested in Hicks, and there was mutual interest there. And I wrote that mm-hmm. uh, last week, I guess. Right? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, last week, yes. And uh, they were not interested in Hicks as a as a starter. Uh, and from what it sounds like, if he was going to stay as a reliever, like the Phillies would have been, uh, you know, might have been right there uh, mm-hmm. with the offer. I don't know that they were as interested in Stevenson. Um, thought his deal was a little, I, I guess. I guess it wasn't light, but I mean, it reflects, I think, how teams viewed him. And that was like, you know, one really, really good year. But um, these these relievers are so hard to predict. And it's like, yeah, uh, when you're getting to a three or four year deal with with uh, a guy who doesn't have like necessarily a long track record, you're just you get really skittish. So, uh, yeah, not a lot has changed. I mean, I think the hour deal is interesting in that only with the structure. Like, I think uh, it's a deal that. Uh, the Phillies can do uh, and it's mainly done to counteract the fact that they really don't have any upper minors depth and you know in a normal offseason Colby Howard gets non-tendered and he's probably looking at a minor league contract with somebody with a you know invitation to spring training yeah uh, the Phillies went you know a little beyond that and they went with a split deal that uh, gives them a pretty good minor league salary it's like 375 uh 375,000 which is which is pretty good mm-hmm. and then you know a million dollars whenever he's you know prorated a million dollars whenever he's in the majors uh that's essentially the Phillies paying for depth uh, because they haven't necessarily developed it in a good way. And I think you can see, you know, at least one, maybe two more split contracts like this. Um, the Phillies still have an open spot in the 40 man roster. And uh, right. it's unusual for them to carry, you know, to not carry a 40 man, a 40 man that's full, you know, for most of the winter. And they, they haven't, uh, you know, which is indicated. I think the lack of talent that's come across the waiver wire and just also, their desire to wait this out and they're not the only team yeah. who is uh, taking this approach. Um, I know that for a fact, they think that there's a lot of value in just sort of waiting it out because there's not um, necessarily a huge gap between some of the uh, players available at the positions of need for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think that they'll, they'll sign someone else to a major league contract, uh, probably a pitcher, uh, probably a reliever, maybe a swingman type. I mean, I know they've they've engaged a lot of different guys on on uh, that sort of role and idea, and it's been hard for them because uh, they they don't have a lot to guarantee right now in terms of not money, but 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 playing time. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of guys are holding out for better opportunities elsewhere. Uh, Phillies can't really guarantee at bats to anyone. They can't really guarantee starts to anyone right now. Uh, and I think that's taken them out of some guys that they liked and understandably. So, I mean, like they, they like what they have. They kind of like their top 18, right? You know, sure, the 18 sure. best players on the roster. They like those guys, um, but they certainly need depth behind them and it's not robust. Uh, and that puts them in a kind of a, I don't know, like a delicate spot where I do think they are going to add players. I think they're non roster uh, list that they released last week is one of the most underwhelming ones I've seen. Uh, <laughs> since since covering this team but scott kingery's back how could it be underwhelming (laughs) scott kingery's back poor scotty uh it's just not uh it's not a lot there uh on that list not a lot externally they only have like three minor league contracts they've signed maybe minor league free agents um all them right-handed relievers uh that are that came from outside the organization and and i do i do expect them to add to this list i do 
Um, I think there's guys that just haven't uh, gotten to the point where they want to take a non-roster deal. Uh, but it, right now it, it's, it's thin. Uh, and I think this is where they're going to try to improve. And then let's be real. I mean, there's still like three weeks until the first workouts. I mean, this off season is not over. It feels like it's there's time over and it's been underwhelming because it's so long and nothing has happened. Um, I do expect them to make some additions and they're not going to be headline additions, but they're going to be the kind of stuff that they need. And which is just more guys uh, on depth on the depth side, just more lottery tickets that you're trying to just, uh, you know, fill out your roster and, and you might need them over the course of 162 games. Yeah, honestly, you know, I just briefly scanning the list of remaining relievers, you know, looking at the MLB trade rumors list, you're you're really just looking at whatever kind of upside you could scrape together from a lot of these names, right? And I'm sure there's there are probably some injury considerations I, I'm not keeping straight as I look at, you know, some of these names, and that's probably why some of them are still out there, you know, and someone like Colin McHugh just announced his retirement. Uh, the names at the top of everybody's list that's remaining right now, at least that I've seen, small sample, of course, you know, the likes of Phil Maton, the likes of Brian Stanek. Some people have thought about a reunion with Hector Neris. But then you get into things like, all right, what is Brad Boxberger or Carl Edwards or I guess Shintaro Fujinami? There's still some talk around him or Mike Fulmer, you know, like there, Denelson Lamette, if he was healthy, is somebody who I, I thought he had. I thought he had tremendous stuff before he got hurt right around the time he was with San Diego. But that's the kind of thing we're looking at right now, you know, unless you're really feeling up for a Brad Hand or Aaron Loop reunion or Joelle Rodriguez. There's a lot of former Phillies greats out there. Um, that's basically that's that's basically the deal. That's basically the deal right now. There's not a game-changing, you know, reliever. You know, we're talking mostly just about relievers right now who are left out on the market. I I hate the Jordan Hicks deal. I, I don't really like throwing wow, that word a out there. Word. I know, yeah. I know. And I don't like being a hater. Um, and it's, it's not, I need to, I need to say this to be clear just because you know, the internet, but it's not a hating of, of the person. I, I don't know Jordan Hicks. I know nothing about him. I, I watched Jordan Hicks, you know, in his time with St. Louis and Toronto. And yes, the numbers on the radar, just, they blow your mind. The dude throws 117 miles an hour. But the the numbers that come with it, his performance numbers, the actual performance numbers, haven't risen to that for me. Like just matching a visual stuff perspective. And he walks so many guys. He doesn't throw a lot of strikes. And so to do the, the CJ Wilson thing, where you take a guy who could be a little bit erratic and put him into a starting rotation spot, you know, doing like the reverse Nathan Avaldi with the Phillies tried to do to sign him as a closer a couple of years ago, if you remember that. Um, I I don't I don't like that at all with this. I I don't I don't. Now he has to scale back some of his stuff. I don't really know if he has a good enough third pitch for this, and to do it for four years, I just I don't think it's gonna work. And I'm glad the Phillies didn't see him as a starter either. Not that they had the spot, but I'm glad they sat that one out. You know, it, like Josh Hader signed for what? It was five years, 95 million, somewhere in that vicinity to yep. go to Houston and, and stock that up. I don't think that's what they were looking to do either. There were other implications that come with a contract of that size for where the Phillies are they with their, their tax payroll. Yeah, like that's just, that wasn't going to happen. And then, yeah, you think about Robert Stevenson and like, okay, you know, 
I, I guess you miss out on a little something there if you believe his last year was real. But it's just it, it's not it's not a point of emergency. Here, here's a question training. for you: If they would have signed Robert Stevenson, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where would he rank on your bullpen depth chart? Like in terms of like trusted, you know, the guys you trust the most. Where does he rank? I'm just curious. I wonder. Yeah, fit for you. No, it's a fair question. Current- I, I would say I would say he would probably slot in around fifth or sixth, and that right. really that yes. really depends on what you think about Matt Strom and Orion Kirkring, you know? Yes, like because that that's who's in that tier. I put Alvarado, Sir Anthony, Jeff Hoffman because I I, I buy into what we saw last year, and and even Greg Soto ahead of him. And I think this was part of their calculus it was like we like this guy, but. Uh, you know, with where we're at, like we're looking probably more, you know, middle reliever type and Stevenson might be that, but he got paid as a setup man. He got paid really. If you, I mean, yeah, as a setup man slash kind of closer, really, Hmm. I mean, 11 per year, I guess more of a setup man, but yeah, I I think that's why, like your point that you made earlier is like, you're shooting for upside right now. And that's kind of (laughs) like, that's why I like Fujinami and like, he like fits the, like the Dave Dombrowski, like uh, reliever type, uh, it's basically every guy that Dabrowski has acquired uh, in the bullpen since taking over. Um, I, I don't know that they'll sign him. I, I know that they were a little interested earlier in the offseason. Phil Maton, I know that um, I, I don't think they're in on him uh, because I've mm-hmm. asked around about him because um, I thought he was a fit and apparently not. Okay. Uh, Fujinami, like at the very least, like he has, he can be sent to the minors. Like, so if you're signing him to, you know, an, an, a major league contract, uh, you know, and all of a sudden he can't throw strikes, so you don't really like what you're seeing. He, could, he you know, he could be sent to the minors, um, and that that would be that's why it's an upside play because maybe there's things you feel like you can do with him, and it doesn't have to work out, you know, 100% right away. Um, he's a guy that maybe you, you you're willing to send to the minors, even if you're signing him to guaranteed money. But uh, yeah, I mean, like there's not if you're thinking you want like a Matt, right-handed Matt Strom type. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of the swingman multi-inning guy to stick in the back of your bullpen. Um, who's not Dylan Covey. Uh, <laughs> there's not like a, there's not a ton. Like there's just not a ton. Um, there's guys I'd want to bring into camp, but they're probably not willing to sign, you know, minor league deals right now. Um, Stanek is interesting to me uh, as, as a guy, maybe you give guaranteed money to, but let's not forget. I mean, like at some point, you know, one or two, likely two of these bullpen spots, you want to be able to to have flexibility, right? You want to be able to send guys back and forth. And that's just the reality of going through 162 games. Like you need to have at least mm-hmm. one, probably two bullpen spots that are uh, filled by optionable guys, the guys that you're sh- shuttling back and forth uh, to Lehigh Valley. And right now, you know, you're locked into Alvarado, Dominguez, Strom, Hoffman. They're all out of options. That's four. Soto mm-hmm. has an option. I, I, you know, I don't know that you're demoting Greg Gregory. So maybe you do if he's really ineffective at some point. So let's make him five. And okay, now you've got three spots. You're figuring Kirkering. Uh-huh. You know, we figure is going to fill one of those spots. He has options, obviously, but you're expecting him to be, you know, a, a, a pretty big piece of your bullpen. So now you're up to six. Uh, that leaves two spots. And so if you're adding another major league contract to a veteran who doesn't have options left, um, it it does box you in possibly so um, that's part of the consideration here too Um, you want to be better but you also want to be realistic about how you're going to get better Uh, you know a lot of this comes back again to the fact that they haven't necessarily developed uh, 
a lot of depth in the upper minors. Uh, I have yeah. a piece about it over at the athletic today, just kind of going through like the different internal options they have in the upper minors, just upper minors only uh, guys who would be realistic, you know, in play for 2024. And, and it's just, uh, it's not a great list. No, it's not. And, and then you, you turn your eyes toward thinking about, is there a trade in a back pocket somewhere? And I'm thinking that's yeah, just probably, where I think they might upgrade a trade. Yeah. Yeah. But even then it's not a, a place where, trade. yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's not a place where you, you know, really try and shoot your shot. You know, we're not talking about, um, and this will be a moment when I say thank you to everybody who, who sent us in some ideas for things to talk about over and reply to the, the, the Twitter account. Thank you. If I don't mention everybody, my name, please know that I, I copied every reply into a pretty little Google doc for us to go through and, and, and thank you for helping us out. I really do appreciate it. Uh, and this was one of the things that came up a couple of times is, you know, talking about the bullpen, obviously you don't think along the lines of like, and Emmanuel Classe, probably not even a David Bednar, you know, guys whose names have come up in trade discussions before who, you know, are good players. It doesn't seem like this is the time for that to happen with this team, right? If we're talking about, you know, somebody like a Robert Stevenson or a Jordan Hicks being somebody you only trust about fifth most among this current crop of relievers, do you really think it's in the best interest of the team to you know, give one of the few good tradable chips they have to get another bullpen arm, you know, like you would trust an Emmanuel Classe a little bit more than that. I would think it's not quite apples to oranges, but I, it just doesn't feel like that. There is one name that came up that interests me a little bit. And this was just given as a hypothetical example. And that's Alex Lang who, who pitches for the Tigers. Um, he is a frustrating arm. I don't really know if that is exactly the kind of guy they think they have a fix for. He's got good stuff, but he walks a ton of guys, throws a ton of wild pitches. Um, you know, and JT's getting up there a little bit. You probably don't want him flailing around as much as you he can help it. He's already got Alvarado and Sir Anthony to deal with and some spiked Hoffman sliders. He's he's gonna be he's gonna be sliding all around as it is. Um, I just yeah, I don't see a big bullpen move coming with this team in its current situation not can i I use it but you know i want to go over something with you do you remember the 2023 opening day bullpen do i remember the 2023 opening day bullpen um probably not in its entirety and it would take me too long to vamp through it so why don't you why don't you tell me all right so it was alvarado (laughs) Uh dominguez Mm -hmm. soto okay obviously kimbrell was on there yeah the rest of the bullpen was Bilotti Bilotti, yeah okay connor brogdon mm-hmm. junior Marte, and andrew vasquez oh, i forgot that junior Marte broke camp with the team okay right because bailey falter was the fourth starter and matt strom was the fifth starter mm-hmm. all this for me to say is that like the bullpen in its current state even without another addition is probably better than the one they broke camp with in 2023 i think that's fair to say no i think that's fair to say yeah, I do think that there was a lot of like, yeah, I mean, and like, you know, Bilotti and Brogdon are still in the organization are, are out of options and they will come to camp with a chance to win a job. Um, I think Brogdon in particular might be somebody that becomes a trade piece in the spring. Yeah, uh, I do think it's possible that you don't see them add. You know, I, I, I look at like the fourth outfit, for example, like upgrading the Jake Cave spot. I think yes. that's something that they might not do until, you know mid-march or late march where maybe a trade opportunity arises or somebody doesn't make a make another team's club uh Mm -hmm. roster and 
now he's available and all of a sudden, you know, maybe you have a guy that doesn't fit onto your rosters out of options and you make a trade, you know, like th- we're not talking about, uh, you know, significant, significant acquisitions here, but we're talking about, you know, fourth outfielder is important. You know, your seventh reliever, you know, it's marginally important, but somewhat important. Um, but these are things that you can upgrade in the spring and, and leading up to spring. And I, I, I think that uh, that's kind of how they're going to approach it. Yeah. It's another list I'm looking at now with just, some terrific names. The 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 Frank Gore All Stars member Jock Peterson still has apparently not signed, uh, and then you have a couple other guys out there who I just don't know where he plays. Right? It's I, like yeah. Even I, even if he's like even if you like the bat and you're like oh it's a fit as like the fourth outfielder, um, yeah. You know, how much outfield can he play? Like I I don't know. Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, there are a couple of there are a couple interesting names. I'm still fascinated to see where Bellinger ends up. Um, just because at this point, you know, teams are trying to whittle him down. I'm sure they're trying to bring him down from whatever his demands are, but he'll still get a lot of money. I just don't know where it's going to be. I, I'm fa- the more time goes by, the more interested I am to see where he actually ends up. Um, I know I'm sure the players union would be very unhappy with him if he had to end up with um, a one year like pillow deal coming off the year he had. And I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe that's what teams are angling for. But apart from him. Yeah, yeah, you're looking at some you're looking at yeah, some and that's so, stuff out there. Right. And so one of the one of the questions that we got um from uh uh I, I still call it Twitter, I'm sorry. A Twitter user called Nola. I do, I, I do too. I don't purposely. think Nola's going to the Hall of Fame, but I like that. Uh <laughs> you know, why did the Phillies completely change their mind on what to do with Johan Rojas? And mm. I do think this is an interesting question, and I I I have asked the same question to numerous people this offseason because Let's remember the offseason began with, you know, just a lot of like, you know, wishy-washy kind of like, you know, typical kind of boilerplate stuff. But the only thing that really stuck out was Dave Dombrowski saying, look, like Johan Rojas is not uh, not guaranteed a spot, not guaranteed Uh a starting spot. You know, maybe he goes to AAA. We need to see more offensive development. And that has sort of evolved over time to them being like, you know, we don't want to block Johan Rojas. We want Johan Rojas to be part of this. And I think more than anything, this is a factor of how the market developed and there's Mm. just there wasn't a lot out there um i think they looked at some trades i think they looked at some fourth outfielder slash maybe you know somebody who could play into a bigger role type and i think this is what they settled on and they settled on let's give rojas the first three months of the season as an everyday guy and if it doesn't go as we think it'll go then we address it in July. Yeah, I could see that. I could. I mean, I still think my my most tinfoil hat thing at the moment, and I'm going to keep this fake. I, I don't really love feeding. <laughs> I don't really love feeding into this, but it can be fun. I, I think they're storing up for something in July. I don't know what that is. I don't. I don't think they're going to shoot their shot right now. I think when you know, some races filter out a little bit more and some guys availability becomes a little clearer. I I think maybe they're keeping their options open for something along those lines, whether that ends up being the rotation, whether that ends up being the outfield, probably one of those two spots for a move like that. I mean, they've made, they've made a deadline trade for a starting pitcher in each of Dave Dombrowski's three seasons uh, running the team. Yeah. There's Kyle Gibson and then Noah Syndergaard and Michael Lorenzen. Yeah. Well, yeah. Really inspiring list. I'm dreaming a little bit bigger than that. I feel like they were just, you know, they were necessity because they needed to cover innings. And I get that. There's a strategy to that. 
you know, adding an arm like that to get you through the last of the season and to keep your bigger guys healthy, you know, that, that makes complete sense. I totally get that. And they could still do something like that. Yeah. The uh, only I, thing about shooting your shot in July is that it, it, it requires more prospect than financial capital. Yes. I mean, typically it's like, Oh, they have, they're going to have some, you know, they might have some payroll space to play with mid season, but how often do we see these trades are, 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 you know, more about the prospects you're willing to deal and can deal than, than about the money. Yeah. You know, I, I think what it comes back to, and, and thank you again to everybody who, who submitted, you know, ideas for us, you know, the, one of the, one of the replies, uh, from Max, thank you, Max talked about Brandon Marsh, who I keep coming back to is not, I'm not, I'm not sold on what their idea for Brandon Marsh is. Yeah, never mind Johan Rojas. They are either. <laughs> yeah, like never mind Johan for a second, who, you know, I can immediately love as a de- as de- a defensive specialist at bare minimum. You know, very bare minimum. I can set my bar there for the coming into this year and know that if he's out in the field, he's going to do good things at the plate. Well, we'll see. But Brandon Marsh, I I just I keep getting, I keep receiving and interpreting to use those more careful verbs, mixed signals about what they think about Brandon Marsh. One thing I do know is that Brandon Marsh's hypothetical trade value has gone up since they acquired him. He is now a more valuable major league player, I would think, to more major league teams in a situation that may present itself where a team might come calling about him for one of their good players. I think that's something to keep in mind. In the meantime, as he is on the Phillies, and I like him on the Phillies, he is clearly a glue guy. He's very, very popular. I think moving him is a tricky line to walk, and we've talked about that before. As it stands right now, what what he is right now, I am still not convinced that we're going to see him frequently, all that frequently against left-handers, especially for the first couple of months. They want to see what Johan can do. And I don't really know how much of a commitment they want to give to him. Obviously, now they have some time. He's still, you know, well before free agency. You don't need to think about that right now. But it does make you wonder a little bit about what they're trying to do and how they're trying to finagle the outfield situation. It's a little bit of confirmation bias right now, but leading up to it, like a year plus out from his free agency with the way they were going with Reese Hoskins and the way things were shaping up there. I had always felt like he was going to hit free agency this year. Now that was before his injury, before situations change where Bryce Harper is now your first baseman. I had always seemed like the, the signals that I was seeing and feeling it's just the way that was going to go. And I'm not quite there with Brandon Marsh because he's not as close to free agency, but I don't feel like he is a guy. They say they believe in him as a full-time player. Maybe they do. I don't know if we're going to see that yet. I just, I, I'm not buying into that yet. And so I feel like the outfield is still something that they could be looking to upgrade maybe a little bit more significantly again in July, not necessarily right now. I don't think they're going to be Cody Bellinger players. Um, and then we'll and then we'll see. I don't know. It's all hypothetical. You know, six months out, but that's the vibe I'm getting at least. I, I don't I don't see the Brandon Marsh story lining up with the Brandon Marsh usage. Maybe that's not fair yet. I'll give it a little bit, and we'll see what happens in April. But I don't know. Something's something's giving me something's giving me pause about him, which I think opens up the outfield for more of this kind of talk. Yeah, and I think he you can look at him in a similar vein to Rojas. I mean, I think they like and are intrigued and believe that there's more upside there. And 
aren't sure though, but they don't want to block it. Right. That's like yeah. to the point where you don't want to go get somebody who takes away ABs from him because you're, you're not sure that you need that, but you're also not sure that you won't need that at some point in July. Right. So it's kind of a I, good problem to have. Yeah. I, I, so in a lot of ways, both of those spots on the outfield, they're going to play it out for the first three months. And I think they're going to see what they need. And now that said, I think they can absolutely clearly and should upgrade the fourth outfielder spot. And I, I, I think they'll, I think they're trying. And I I do think that there will be an addition there that now that's like in left field. Like I, I do think Marsh is a, is a more valuable player. Uh, He could be a plus plus left fielder. And we saw it at times late in the season. Once Mm -hmm. Rojas was kind of the everyday guy in center Marsh was, um, you know, really a difference maker in left field. Um, maybe it was just that we were, you know, we were going from watching Kyle Schwarber play out there, you know, for yeah, four or five months and to, to watching Brandon Marsh play out there. And it's like a, uh, a whole new universe, but uh, he, he's, he could be a pretty valuable player in left field. Um, he'd be one of the best defenders out there, I think in the sport. So uh, there's a lot of play here. Uh, and I think the outfield to your point is very much unsettled but not at a point where they want to rock the boat yet. I think they need, mm. they need and want to see um, both of these guys over the first three months. That makes sense. And, and I'm cool with that. I am. I am. I know the Jake cave thing is kind of funny that they're, <laughs> that they're like, yeah, let's, let's lock that in early. And it's just, it's kind of a, yeah, I, I think I wrote, I, I reported, I think I wrote it. I did get the contract um, is a million dollar contract, but only 500 grand was guaranteed. Okay. Uh, which, you it's know, fine. uh, that's kind of a drop in a bucket drop in the bucket for them. Uh, the major league minimum this year is seven forty, somewhere, yeah, somewhere around there. Around there. Yeah. Um, you know, so they could cut him in spring training and, and be on the hook for less than the major league minimum. And I, and I, you know, not to say that I think that that's a slam dunk that that's going to happen, but I think it just gives them, uh, you know, it opens the door to that. It opens the door to them upgrading that spot. And I, I do think they've been looking to do that. I, I think one thing to keep, in mind as we go through this spring and think about the outfield options, at least right now is, you know, optionality. It's a big thing. It's been a big thing with this club. They don't love opening guys up to risk losing them either through waivers or, or what have you, unless they feel like they have to, it really, it really just seems like they prioritize guys keeping them around if they are inflexible that way. So think about Pache and J cave being out of options, right? And the best option behind them, so to speak, is right now like Wes Wilson, right? Like uh, yeah, among guys in New York. Yeah. It's the outfield you know, depth is thin. Yeah. So okay, you go into spring knowing that you're an injury away from being in a really dire situation. So you keep the guys you have. You're not outlaying, you know, a ton of years, much less a ton of money, to keep them around. Keep them around as an insurance policy. Hopefully everybody stays healthy this spring, but you really never know. And you want to make sure that you do have that depth like you were talking about. Um, because then, you know, maybe know, maybe you're talking about Simone Muziati making a comeback who did not play in the majors at all after debuting in 2022. Um, you know, Cal Stevenson is back on an NRI. It's just, yeah. it's not... It's, there's there's not a lot. There's not a lot going on there. Although I do think that there's some interest in one of the, another guy they invited from the system, Matt Kroon, um, 27 yeah. year old, who's got a little bit of flexibility there. I think there's some curiosity with him. 
And of course, everybody's 20, 26, 26 man type, you know, yeah, you could be, yeah. you could be a, a last guy on your bench. Yeah. Yeah. And then everybody's favorite Rudy Castro, who Rudy, <laughs> Rudy, back. Um, no, but talking about talking about um, the future for guys, you know, guys who you think might be around a little bit longer, you know, we were talking about Rojas and Marsh and what what the future may or may not hold for them. There were a couple a couple folks who brought up Alec Bohm in these replies, Hunter and Michael in, in particular, there was uh, something that kind of struck us as a little bit unfamiliar, uh, that Alec Bohm being the only one without a, a currently, you know, agreed upon figure in salary for this coming year, being because there's talk about a multi-year deal being in the works. And I, I was unaware of anything like that. I, that, that made me cock an eyebrow a little bit. Matt, have you, heard anything along those lines is there something maybe cooking and that's why it's taking a little bit longer for the team and alec bohm to come to an agreement on the 2024 I, salary i have not uh okay. I, mean, I expect them to meet in the middle or, or go to arbitration it would be unusual for them to go to arbitration um they've usually found a way to get these agreements done yeah. um, I, I don't think they're looking to extend him right now um i think they want to see it play out uh which makes sense you know we've seen Bowman at his best. We've seen Bowman at his worst. We've seen Bowman in the middle, and Bowman in the middle is probably, <laughs> you know, I don't know, like a like a slightly above average third baseman in the sport. I don't know. Like I'm, I actually, yeah, I've sure. not thought about his place kind of in, you know, um, among third basemen right now. I mean, certainly we've seen him improve on uh, in the field. Uh, we've seen him go on little power binges at times, but not sustain it for a full season, which I think would be. Um, you know, try, kind of check the box before you're like committing to him as your long-term third baseman. You want to see, you know, a, a, a full season of, uh, of, of a strong power output. Um, no, I, I think right now, like you're kind of where you're at with Bohm and that's year to year and that's okay. That's uh, this is his first arbitration year. So um, he won't be a free agent until after the 2026 season. So then the question I think that has changed slightly is, there had been some talk about, oh, okay, when Alec, when Alec was at his worst or near his worst defensively, there was like, okay, we can't, we can't keep this guy at third base for very long. He's going to have to move across the diamond at some point. Well, there's another guy over there now yeah. <laughs> who may be there for a little while. We don't really know how long he's going to be there. I think that's something of an open question. You know, He'll be there for this year at least, but I, I can't rule out a return. You think he's no. there forever? Yeah, I think this is a really. Yeah, because if you're gonna do this, uh, like, yeah, I mean, I, I, okay, again, like, I that's just speculation on my part. But if you're gonna make this move now, uh, this seems like a, uh, this seems like rest of your career type thing, barring you know an an, an emergency need or some sort of, you know, unforeseen development. Do you agree? Interesting. Well. I can understand it if they want to go that way. I would just be surprised if he doesn't play some more outfield in the future. I, I would. I would. He's still in his early 30s. He'll be in this coming offseason. He'll be two years removed from Tommy John surgery. I feel like there's a little bit of time left for him to still play some right field. Yeah. Now and we haven't. These are questions we haven't gotten to ask. Bryce said he hasn't talked since. Uh huh. Uh, you know, but but I do think a lot of this just in talking with other people around the team and uh, it's just I think a lot of it is believed to be some self-preservation stuff. Bryce believing that playing first base will allow him to be on the field more uh, mm. and be more productive 
uh, just less strain on his body. Uh, I think I'll buy that, right? It's probably the less least strenuous position on the field now. I would think so. I mean, the (laughs) the play he made in Cleveland in his very first game there aside. (laughs) um, Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree. Certainly less strain on the arm. Like, sure, you have to make a few throws. You'll you'll be a relay at some point. You'll have to throw to second base. But yeah, it's it's definitely less strenuous on that. I, I get it. I do like self-preservation. Yes, that's fine. What I what I don't subscribe to is that he did this, you know, to squeeze Hoskins out or anything like that. Like there was no consideration there. Like, I don't I, I think that's that's ascribing blame to something that was always going to be kind of a misfit coming into this offseason. I feel like even if Bryce was still going to be playing the outfield, that there was always going to be a little bit of question about Correct. what Reese Hoskins would do on this roster. I do. I do. Correct. It would, it, it, that's just, that's not, that's not a thing. I, that's not a path I want to walk. Yeah. Only, yeah. Only because and I, I do want to get to Reese at some point, but only because I think there is some question as to how many games at first base Reese will be able to play in 2024. Yeah. I think yeah, you're looking yeah. at him being more of like a, you know, 50, 50 first baseman DH. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'd agree with that. Well, okay. This is, this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about Reese because I think we've, I think we've at least covered most of the bases for where we left off, you know, a month and a half ago, the big move that has happened since then just happened a couple days ago. Reese Hoskins signs with the Milwaukee Brewers. And as sad as I am to see him move on and first and foremost, your piece on, you know, what he and Jamie have done with, you know, muscular dystrophy association and the, relationships that the two of them forged within the community rather quietly, by the way, I mean, they, they were, it's not like they were hiding their involvement, but it's not something that was, you know, being touted all around. And I don't know why I'm bringing that up, but it's something that people might not necessarily have been as aware of while he was here. Like the work that the two of them did in the community was just as important to anything they did on a baseball field. Like this is a guy who really took the time to, matter to some kids who, who've been down on their luck who've been dealt you know a tough hand and he was there he was there to be a friend not just to show up for you know a charity event this is something they really cared about and i think missing that you know that's that's going to hurt a little bit even before getting into the baseball stuff but to shift into baseball gears there is a clearer path to playing time with milwaukee milwaukee as we saw last year when they were you know vying for you know, vying against the Phillies for the second year in a row, really, for a playoff spot. They need offense. And Reese Hoskins continues to be a guy who I think gets underrated offensively just because he's not a high-average hitter. You know, he's a 240 guy. But he'll, he'll get on base. He'll, you know, he'll clog things up a little bit. He's got that 30-homer pop. Even if he can't play first base every day or for more than, you know, 70 or 80 games this year, whatever, you know, the plan is there. This is a guy who has a good fit with Milwaukee. And now he gets to be that veteran dude among some of the younger guys, you know, like the the Garrett Mitchells and the Joey Weemers, if you want to think about those position players who um, I feel like they have like six of the same guy. Yeah. (laughs) Sal Freelich. Sal Freelich, yes. Like there's there's some interesting stuff happening in Milwaukee, and maybe that's why they held on to Corbin Burns. Um, and now he gets to go prove it, essentially right? He's got, it's a two-year deal for $34 million, but he has an opt-out after the 2024 season. And if he feels like the fit isn't working or he has a really good year and can get more than, you know, 17 mil AAV next off season, great. Okay. 
opt-outs are good for the player. They always are. But now we have Reese Hoskins, guy who brought this club back from the brink. As far as I'm concerned, he is, he is the turning point. He is that pivotal moment where this team left the tank, right? It was It was bad. Really, you could stretch it back to the first year they missed the playoffs in 2012 when, you know, the expectations fell flat and then guys started falling apart and then they got traded and then things were really bad and then they had to use a number one pick in a year where, <laughs> where Mickey Moniak was the guy and there hasn't really been a whole lot else that's come out of that draft. So it was just a really crappy year to have the number one pick. Bad luck there. You know, you don't get to luck into somebody like a Wyatt Langford in 2017, unfortunately. But now that link is gone. The guy who really helped bring this team back, who was so important, had so many highlights that you're going to see forever on the scoreboard, just because he's left the team doesn't mean you're not going to still see those. Um, comes back with the Brewers in early June. I'm certain he'll get a standing ovation. And he deserves it. Matt, I'm sad, man. I, I know from a baseball perspective, it didn't make a lot of sense to bring him back, especially after Harper's move to first. But I'm just, I'm bummed. I'm sad to see him go. I really am. There's a couple things I'll think about when I think about Reese Hoskins, and, I, and I've been thinking about it uh, the last 24 hours. And there's obvious ones, you know, like the highlights you mentioned that you're going to see a lot. Um, there are two. I actually did think about this for a while, and there's two things maybe behind the scenes that'll stick out, and I want to share both of them. Okay. Uh, one of them was they're actually both from the 2018 season, which is, you know, an incredibly forgettable Phillies season. Uh, One of them happened in the middle of the year. The Phillies were in San Francisco on a getaway day and Jake Arrieta was pitching and Scott Kingery was playing shortstop and should not have been playing shortstop at the time. And it became a real point of contention, I think, among a lot of people, um, specifically Gabe Kapler and me, because um, <laughs> I wrote about it a lot. And, you know, Kingery made a mistake in that game, and the Giants ended up scoring five runs in the inning uh, because Kingery did not uh, – he, he tried to throw to first instead of just getting an easy out at second. It was just inexperienced from a rookie who was playing a position he had never really played before. And after the game, Arietta uh, it was actually a game in which Arietta, I think, hit a home run. It was the only run that the Phillies scored. Arietta hit a solo home run. Uh, I miss I miss pitchers hitting. After the game, Arietta <laughs> kind of you know kind of threw Kingery not kind of he threw Kingery under the bus, and it was oh, yeah. uh, it was an interesting decision. Um, you know, Arietta more than anything was pissed off about the shifting the Phillies had done, and in retrospect, yeah. their shifting was terrible. And there were a lot of reasons now that we can point back to for it being terrible. It was just um, there was a lot of bad decisions being made under the hood in terms of how to use the data and when to use it. Uh, just bad, bad stuff all around. Um, but I remember talking to Hoskins just by myself after that, after, and Reese, um, I think either overheard or like was relayed, you know, what Arietta said. It was a getaway. It's a getaway day. Like it's frantic. They're everybody's uh, packing up, you know, they're going to fly back home. Uh, and I just remember him be, being so eloquent about, you know, defending Kingery and, um, it was just it was it was a moment to me where he became you know like a a real leader like inside that clubhouse. Uh, remember, he debuted in twenty seventeen. He hasn't even had a full year in the majors at this point. Um, mm-hmm. I just remember that sticking out to me. And then the, and then the, la- the other thing from that year that I remember is the Phillies um, 
you know, we're, we're, we're five games over 500, uh, middle of the month. They go to Atlanta. They're, they're, you know, I think they're like five back, uh, or six back, whatever. I mean, they're not going to win the division, but they go and they get swept. They just get trounced by Atlanta. Oh, a couple bad losses in there. Um, it's a four game sweep. And the last game, the Braves won the division, uh, on in the last day of the series, I think. And I just remember Reese in the clubhouse after the game, just being devastated, absolutely devastated that this thing had fallen apart the way that it did. And it got even worse. I mean, they, they, they then lost, they went, then went to Colorado and played one of the worst series I've seen the Phillies play. They got swept four games there too. Um, a lot was falling apart internally. Um, and I just remember there was other players, veteran types who they acquired at the deadline that year who were in the clubhouse after the game in Atlanta, who are just sort of like, you know, like nothing had just happened. Um, just kind of like laughing or whatever. And Reese was devastated. Like, actually devastated and that image of him and then talking to him after the game will always stick with me and that's a roundabout way of me saying i'm glad that he got his moment i mean he had a lot of teammates who Mm -hmm. came through uh the phillies and left the phillies without ever experiencing you know what he was able to experience and what you know they all thought they were going to experience as part of this you know rebuilding group and uh, he was one of the only guys who got to see it through and I'm glad that he did. Um, I understand why he's not back. I think he did really well in the deal. I know that he had been uh, from the very start of the offseason wanted the player option in there and that scared away some teams, uh, you know, the sort of opt out basically. And sure. uh, I think he did well. And uh, I'm going to miss writing about him. That's uh, that's kind of how I feel. Yeah. Reese, I miss you already, buddy. I want to, <laughs> I want to be there for that game. Well, we'll see how things shake out. It's, it's tough. I think that series is, is a, uh, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday series, maybe something is it? like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in early June. Yes. Yeah. It's like, a, it's yeah. kind of like weird to come from North Jersey. Anyway, I want to be there that and the, the Hamels, um, the Hamels night. There's some good stuff coming up on the calendar. Make sure you take a look at the promo calendar. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll miss Reese a lot. Um, he was, he was really important to me. I'll always overrate him a little bit. I think because of that, you know, I'll be, I'll probably be talking. Yeah. But you overrate him for this reason too. Is like, Paul, think about the last decade. Okay. Uh Who, who is a better homegrown developed hitter? I mean, he is their best homegrown hitter from the last decade, uh, decade plus really. I mean, think about it. I mean, you know, for a while we thought Dominic Brown would be that guy. He came up in Mm -hmm. 2010 and never really panned out but i mean since the you know since the core group that was part of the last championship have they developed a better hitter than reese hoskins mm, no i don't i don't think i don't think so argument no 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 that's so yes like in the maybe in the grand scheme of things you know league-wide overrated yeah okay fine whatever sure I, I i can live with that you know one of the things one of the things i've i've become accustomed to in this new age of personal fandom you know i i've gone through waves right i start out as a younger kid watching the games and following you know average homers and rbi in the box score and you know attributing that to what a good player is then i start thinking about oh a guy needs to have a 900 ops in order to be good and then we get into the late 2000s and I start looking at things like BABIP. And then I start worrying about how many times they're striking out or walking. And then I think about wins above replacement because everybody in the early 2010s or so had that moment where they had to acknowledge, you know, at the outset of what war means. 
you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. What does that mean? Oh, it's an all-encompassing number that can tell you how much a player is worth, what their value is. And I guess for, you know, a couple of years there, I really bought into that a little bit too much. And now I feel the pendulum swinging back where I am making, I am atoning in a sense for the mistakes I made in the moment thinking about somebody like <laughs> Ryan Howard, right? I've actually, I, I wrote about this back when Baseball Prospectus had a wonderful little short form, um, short form vertical edited by Patrick Dubuque called Short Relief. Um, and it was basically about a mea culpa for the way I looked at Ryan Howard and who he was not in really in his MVP year, because that, you know, that was infallible. I'm talking about the couple of years after that, where the decline started to happen. This is pre-injury, you know, I'm thinking along the lines of, uh, 2010, 2011, where he was still very good, but you come into it, you're like, oh man, something's just not right. He's striking out too much. He doesn't play good defense, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I got, I got too much in my head about that, about what his value was to the club. Add on top of that, the, the premature extension that he got. And then it was just like, Oh, as an expiring front office type, I hate this. Oh, this is no good. Don't commit to a first baseman when he's two years out from free agency like that. And I was just, I was dumb, dude. I I looked at things the wrong way. I really did. I, I, I cheated myself more than I cheated anybody else or brought anybody else down by being a Debbie downer and thinking about, you know, mid to late stage Ryan Howard. And so in a way, I look at Reese Hoskins and his departure. Really, I was trying to do this in the moment while he was here. This is not a guy who put up big war numbers. Not at all. Uh, according to baseball reference, he didn't ever have a three win season, uh, mostly because he was not a very good defender and it was not helped that he was put in a position to play left field for most of a season. <laughs> uh, that's another story. Now I realize what kind of hitter he was, what kind of person he was too. And I value that more than I did back in the past. And I realized that my overrating of him and my talking of him in this, this brighter light, putting him on this higher podium than the average fan or the national fan may regard him as is totally okay. I don't feel yeah. self-conscious about that anymore. I don't feel like I need to course correct. I am acknowledging it like I am now and saying, yeah, it's silly objectively, but I do not care. This is somebody <laughs> who is just important to me and is important to this era of fandom for me. And I, and I think a lot of other people, I think you started to see that more with the outpouring that came out in the wake of the news of his agreement. And it's just, it, it's important to have that kind of growth to understand that we all go through phases of fandom. You know, I'm sure it'll change again as the game evolves and as I evolve as a person watching the game. But for this era, I will always think of him as one of the most important players on this team, one of the best players on this team, even if, you know, somebody who doesn't live in this area or doesn't follow this team as frequently over the last, you know, seven years would really see it that way. And that's cool. And I, I hope more people out there share that kind of thing. Yeah. And I think you, you hit it right in the head. I mean, in 2017, he represented, uh, you know, a lot of hope for a franchise that had not had any of it for quite a long time and yeah. fairly or unfairly that did create some expectations that Reese Hoskins did not live up to in some people's eyes. And I understand that. Um, but I think if you take the broader look at it, um, there's a reason why people feel a connection to him. And that's because uh, he was the first time, you know, really coming out of the darkness where you're like, Hey, maybe this is something. And it ended up being something. Uh, he he uh, played in a world series for the Phillies, which uh, yep. 
you know, I, I, I don't know if we saw that coming, you know, when he, when he came up and, and, uh, you know, was not a heralded prospect and, um, you know, pretty, pretty remarkable legacy. I think he leaves, um, no doubt to me, like in the last decade, the best homegrown hitter they've had. Beautiful. Yep. Nothing to add to that. All right. So I think, I think then we'll just, we'll, we'll shift gears for our last topic here that a couple of uh, folks brought up. And again, this is from Evan and Tim, but thank you to anybody who I might not have mentioned, Anthony, Dan, Timmy, Kyle, thank you all for, for giving us some ideas, Jenny. Um, we really do appreciate you. Thank you for, for letting us springboard off of what you're thinking about and what you're caring about these days. But our, our last thing that we'll talk about here, um, as we come toward the end of January, not exactly the most uplifting thing, but we'll try and bring people up a little bit here. So Evan and Tim don't really feel the juice. They don't really feel the hype. They're not totally excited yet. We're running it back for what is essentially the third year. You know, the Trey Turner edition kind of invalidates that, but it is for the most part, the same roster for the last three years. Um, and there's just not a whole lot of, not really a whole lot of rah-rah, not a whole lot of fist pumping right now. I guess we're kind of getting used to off seasons where a big move is made and a big addition comes in to try and get this team back over the hump for its first world series since 2008. And there just hasn't really been that this year, you know, bringing Nola back is great, but it doesn't really remove you from the, Oh, okay. Here's somebody from the outside to really, you know, pump us up and, and get us over Matt. I, and, and Evan and Tim are curious about this too. How should we feel about it? Running it back for the third straight year, really the second year plus a little bit. I I'll be charitable there. Um, when there hasn't been as of yet a huge import free agent signing trade to really try and get this team over and back to the LCS and ideally the world series for the third straight year. I mean, I think it's totally reasonable to not be like, you know, totally hyped right now. I mean, I think some of it is just natural. Like you said, it's January. It's, yeah. uh, the off season is, is, is long, especially when, um, it's an inactive off season like this one. Um, I, I, I think as we get closer to opening day, people will, will get excited about this team again. Spring training is going to be, I, th- I think, kind of weird i mean it's it's gonna be boring like i mean you're not gonna have like andrew painter you know at least pitching in great for league games like you're 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 not gonna have like a ton of prospects to really follow um because again the upper minors are not uh, are not the strongest for the phillies um you're gonna have like maybe two or three roster spots like up for grabs uh in the spring like no major roster spots so um i i can see this sort of like lack of enthusiasm continuing into you know march uh, which, I, you know, I, I think once we get to opening day, like most people will get excited again. Um, and, and in the end, it is a good roster. I think it's one of the best rosters in the National League. And, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if running it back works or doesn't. Uh, I know within the organization, they're like, well, we're not running it back because uh, we get a full year of Bryce Harper. We get Kyle Schwarber out of the DH sure, spot. We get a full sure. year of, you know, comfortable trade turn. And I'll buy all that. But, in, in you know, I also understand people's perspective about not being super excited about it. And we have been spoiled the last few off seasons. They've made you know, major acquisitions, major contracts uh, in each of the last few off seasons. And they have not done that this off season. And I feel like um, every stereotype of Dave Dombrowski uh, that people had going into uh, his time with the Phillies has been uh, totally turned upside down this off season. Yeah. Uh, so better or worse of running it back. And uh, I think people have reacted appropriately. I think some people are, are uh 
are excited and, and a lot of people aren't. And uh, I think when we get to opening day, most people will be excited now. Yeah, nothing, nothing much to really add to that. I, I, the big thing for me is ideally Trey is comfortable for a full year. I, I think if we get, I mean, gosh, we, yeah, think about it, like, the first, yeah. <laughs> few, the first three months were so bad. They were I so just, bad. They really were. Now, I, I have regret about this. I, one of the last times I was on um, CBS talking with Pat Gallen was in the midst of like toward the very end of, of flex. the worst of Trey. Thank you. Yeah, he hasn't asked me back on. I think for this exact call where I thought like, okay, we need to reset our expectations. Trey is just going to be a 700 OPS shortstop for the rest of the year, and everybody else has to pick him up. Wrongo. <laughs> immediately after that he started getting white hot um i love you pat thank you for having me on for the last couple of years um i think trey is if we get a full season of of normal trey turner even if he's not as good as he was the last two months but you just spread it over it's just it's such a big deal he's he's so freaking good dude like i i get that there's some defensive concern fine okay i'm not too sure. concerned about that right now um this at the play oh my god he's such a we saw it we we saw it the last two months of the year and into the playoffs. Like he's unbelievable. You get a full season of that dude. That's enough to get me excited. Um, but yeah, nothing much to add beyond that. We won't we won't end exactly on on that note because I do think there's one important thing we haven't talked about yet, and there may not be an update, but I want to make sure we touch on it. First, a correction: Mickey Moniak was a 2016 draft pick, not 2017. There we go. That's accountability for you. Um, Matt Zach Wheeler, he doesn't have an extension yet are things any closer what's going to happen there uh, i think it's something that doesn't get talked about uh until the spring um and there's actually like logistical reasons for that i, I do think that if you mm-hmm. um if you agree to it or or get the or you know get it done in the spring you can have it uh tax implications onto. right yeah. yes there are tax implications to it and that is why i think that if they do get a deal done it's something that they would um, not get done during the spring until the spring. And it's something also where, um, you know, Wheeler's agency has guys who are current free agents um, who they're prioritizing, uh, getting them deals before spring training. And then you move on to the extension kind of stuff. And I think that fits for both club and player. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think they're going to talk in the spring and I don't think anything has changed. That's a great point. That's something I, I often don't consider is that these agencies, they only have so many bodies to help, you know, even some of the biggest firms, that there are other priorities, there are competing priorities. Zach Wheeler is under contract and he's happy where he is. So they don't really need to have him at the top of the list. That's a good point. All right, cool. Now, I just wanted to make sure we we at least touched on that. So that's great. So we can wait a little bit longer on that. All right, awesome. So thank you all for joining us on this not really a mailbag episode. Um, we'll be back again in less time than yes. uh, we've missed you for this time. It's just, <laughs> it just hasn't been much happening. But more things are going to start happening in the next three weeks as we get closer to pitchers and catchers reporting. We start getting those new, fresh images of guys in their workout clothes on the backfields. This is going to be my first trip down to spring training this year, going with my dad in early March, which I'm very excited about. Going to pick up. We're not going to overlap. No, we're not because we're bad at planning. Well, um, no, mainly because my <laughs> travel budget has been significantly cut. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yes, thank you everybody for, for sending in some ideas for listening along. Um, we're going to be doing more of these at the very least. You might hear more of me even without Matt while he, he does his thing because I want to get kind of insane with this and I can't drag Matt into every bit of that. Um, but we're appreciative of, of everybody who's stuck with us or even just joined on in the last two years. Um, and we want to return that favor. So 
still just plans for now, still just ideas. I keep talking a big game. I need to actually do some of this stuff, and I will. So thank you again for joining us. Matt, is there anything else you'd like to get out into the world before we sign off until next time? No, I just, I appreciate uh, the feedback uh, and just the nice words from everybody about um, the Charlie Manuel feature and yes. the story about Reese this week. Um, it has been a boring off season and I've been trying to find different ways uh, to write about the team, to write about the Phillies and baseball. And uh, yeah, I, I just want to say, I appreciate, uh, appreciate everybody reading, appreciate everyone uh, sending feedback and kind words. And, and uh, also thank you for listening and promise that we'll uh, do this a little more frequently. <laughs> beautiful all right yeah that's it that's how we'll sign it off we'll end on a high note thank you everybody for listening for matt i am paul we'll be back with you again soon go bills